It's episode 75 of our weekly Cricket Her broadcast this week and we are still in London um, after watching the final of the Women's 100 at Lords yesterday and um, it did get played despite all of the disastrous weather forecasts so we're quite glad not to have to schlep back over to Lords today and watch watch the match in front of a, um, an empty ground. Um, on the other hand we are just still a little bit shell-shocked about what we saw yesterday aren't we Sid? I don't think we're quite as shell shocked as the Southern Brave players, though. <laughs> um, no, we, we, and uh, you know, was it a great game? Well, you know, it was. It wasn't perhaps the, the it wasn't a close game remotely, um, but it was a great performance from Marazan Cap, wasn't it? And I think that you know that that's if, if you're going to see something in the final, you you, want, you might want to say well a close game would have been better, but a great performance is is also something remarkable to see. Someone that like up dominates the, the match and really asserts themselves, and that was you know enjoyable to watch. So the the Invincibles, you know, they they made a reasonably good total, didn't they? Um, it was definitely it definitely felt like a very defendable total it didn't feel like a huge total perhaps we'd go it was about the par total and it was you know just shy short of the average score in the competition but then cap came out and you know bang bang um and you know it was essentially all over within six balls wasn't it yeah absolutely um i, I mean i think i wrote in my guardian match report that um, that Brave have kind of built their reputation in the tournament um, and been so successful on the on the basis of having um, a really strong batting lineup. So that was quite shocking, therefore, to see them just kind of collapse in a heap. Um, I think you've been crunching the numbers, Sid. So what do you think went wrong? Yeah, I mean, it was a strong batting lineup, um, but it was a batting lineup where 62% of their runs had been scored by three players. So Smriti Mandana, who wasn't there because she chose to go home to India to have built to spend some time with her family before having to go off on the next phase of her cricketing journey to, to Australia. Uh, and then, you know, add to that Danny Wyatt and Sophia Dunkley, that's 62% of all of the Braves runs off the bat. And they within six balls, they were all gone for no runs. So that leaves everybody else with an, an unpres literally unprecedented amount of work to do. Um, and you know, there's just no coming back from that. And that's what happens in very short form cricket sometimes. Um, I think that one of the joys of much longer forms, particularly test cricket, where you get a second innings, is that you know it, it does come back and you do get a bit of ebb and flow. Uh, the shorter the game, the less likely that is to happen. Um, but you know, it, it can create some very exciting games. Again, not an exciting game, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a good game. Let's let's take the positives out of this and the positives out of Cow's performance. And one of the interesting things actually to reflect on is whether, um, and we always talked about this with the Kia Super League, was whether being having been in the semi-final for the Oval Invincibles was actually an advantage versus for the Southern Brave, who obviously um, had uh, qualified for the final automatically by virtue of finishing top um, and had a few days not off. Um, they were still training, but they weren't actually playing cricket. Um, and it was interesting that I asked both of the captains in the post-match press conferences about this. And Anna Shrubsole for the Brave was very dismissive of that being a factor at all. She said, no, that's an excuse. And um, I think she sort of hinted that journalists will use it as a, as a handy way of explaining the Brave's poor performance with the bat, um, which it did get mentioned in a couple of the match reports, because as journalists, we do have to try and find explanations for things. Um, but she said, no, no, it was just, you know, people were batting brilliantly in the nets and it was just one of those days. And I think they do happen, don't they, um, to all cricketers and to all teams. It's just that you hope that they don't happen to you when it's a really big day, like a final. But, yeah. you know, those are the breaks sometimes. Um, that's a very annual answer, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not right. That's nonsense. 
Next question. <laughs> yeah, it was a very annual answer. But to be fair, as the captain, she was kind of fronting up and, and not trying to make excuses. Absolutely. Um, but interestingly then we had Donay van Nierkirk coming into the press conference straight afterwards saying yes she does think it was a really important factor the fact that the day before Invincibles had um, defended another low total I think it was 114 in the on Friday semi-final and then they were defending 121 and, and she said you know I, I think that that mattered a lot um, and from her side of things and I think she was actually probably right in this that in this particular instance it really gave the Invincibles the confidence to know that they could go into that um, second innings of the final and defend that total because they'd just done it 24 hours earlier and really they looked in the in the semi-final against the Phoenix they looked kind of dead and buried um, at one stage in in Phoenix's run chase but they fought back um, and it was kind of a, a real brilliant fight back and if you believe in momentum I think um, then they even possibly use the word momentum that actually um, you know they they had the momentum going into the final and they really felt that as a team so she certainly thought it was significant that they played in the semi-final. So are you with Darnay on that then Raf? You think that that semi-final mattered? I think it did in this particular instance yes I think it's a debate that will rumble on as I say it's something we talked about in the KSL where it kind of I think it swung back and forth a bit between the team who'd qualified automatically for the final winning versus the team who'd been in the semi-final winning um, and all kinds of cap had all kinds of different things to say about that generally depending on whether they'd they won <laughs> yeah exactly um, so yeah it, I don't think that this settles it but I do think in this particular instance um, having defended that earlier um, low total did give them that confidence and that momentum and it was important for Invincibles that's, that's what I think and what about the principle of the semi-final, Raf? Because um, this this idea of what they're now calling the eliminator, which in the Kia Super League we always called the, the semi-final, the one semi-final, um, where, you, where only the top three qualify, and the top one qualifies directly for the final, the second two qualify for this one semi-final. Um, do, do you think that that's a good idea? Because in the Kia Super League days, one of the reasons for doing this was that there was only six teams, so they felt that four teams qualifying for semi-finals wasn't right. Whereas uh, plenty of other competitions, the WBBLs always had two semi-finals, uh, the men's BBL and the IPL have even gone for systems which allow the team, you know, teams down in fifth place to qualify via some sort of elaborate system of this fifth place playing the second place, but then the second place getting a chance to play the third place and all of that. Well, that sounds confusing. It, it is very confusing, and that's, that's actually, interestingly, one of the things that the 100 has worked very hard not to do. They've worked it hard to keep it really simple for fans. Hence, for instance, things like no bonus points, because no bonus points makes it much simpler to work things out. It's just two points for it. You get two points if you win, you get no points if you don't, kind of thing. But what do you think, Raf? Do you think that we, we should be playing uh, two semifinals in the future? I don't have a problem with just playing the one semi-final. I think it gives you it gives a real incentive then to finish top of the group. I know that we've just said that in this case it was to Invincible's advantage to play that extra game, um, but I do think that progressing straight to the final kind of sends um, sends a message out that you are the team to be. And Brave really were the pre-match favourites, and they really were kind of being talked up by us and everyone else as as the team to be in that final. So from my perspective, I think that the format as it is works perfectly well. Yeah, I mean, Brave, Brave were the best team in the competition. Let's let's not forget about that. And if you're a Southern Brave player, you know, you can take that home. And at, at the end of the day, you know, the, the competition is set up in such a way that the group stages, if you can get in that top three, don't really matter. Um, and, you know, it's all about can you deal with the pressure on the big day? And the Invincibles, you know, handled that marvellously in particular 
Cap did. Um, but, you know, the Braves still had a very good tournament and, you know, take lots of positives because they can take seven positives from seven wins um, in, in the group stages, which was a great performance to, to take forward for all of those players into, you know, the rest of their careers. I mean, I know that as a Southern Brave and Southern Vipers fan, you won't necessarily agree with this, Sid, but it's possible that actually the Invincibles winning is better for the competition. Um, I know that we'd, when we'd sort of tweeted um, a couple of weeks ago about the Brave looking likely to win this and then potentially the Vipers, who are essentially the same team as the Brave, uh, minus one or two players, let's be honest. Obviously, same coach as well. Um, so from that perspective, um, then, then potentially then also winning the 100 and then going on to win the Charlotte Edwards Cup and the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy for the second year in a row. You go, well, women's domestic cricket starts to become a little bit one-sided then, a little bit samey. Um, and obviously, from a Viper's perspective and a Brave perspective, they'd be very happy with that state of affairs. But from a fan's perspective and from kind of more of a neutral perspective, which I tend to consider myself as more of a neutral than you, <laughs> um, out of the two of us. Well, you cheer for Alice Capsi, Raph. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I did seem to find myself accidentally cheering on the Oval Invincibles um, but anyway um, generally uh, being a little bit more neutral than you I think that it could be a better thing if one team doesn't dominate all three of our women's domestic competitions um, I think that actually Invincibles winning um, gives you know added interest to the 100 next year it doesn't just become um, a walkover it doesn't just become all of the best players want to go and play for that one one team we don't know how that's going to work next year actually um, are they going to carry on with because obviously the women's system didn't have any kind of draft the, the women's competition didn't have any kind of draft this year um, they I think that they allocated the England players and then there was some kind of informal arrangements um, for the rest but it was an attempt to try and create a balanced competition in the same way that they did with the Kia Super League so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that um, I think there are some other big questions for next year as well um, yeah, Raf. So one of the, one of the big ones is what happens about all the overseas players. We've had plenty of overseas players who have come over, particularly uh, from Australia, who were not the big games, the big games, the big names, um, you know. And some of those players are presumably going to have to make way next year, and some of them are going to have to are going to hopefully stay. Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? What's going to happen next year? Maybe maybe everyone will decide they don't need Meg Lanning anymore. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And, and there was certainly a lot of disappointment at the start of the competition about the fact that um, uh, people kind of perceived it as it was going to be a bit second rate with some of the kind of um, you know, less well-known Australian players in particular coming over here instead of um, their big name counterparts like Lanning and Lisa Healy and Lise Perry, etc. Um, but I don't think that that um, did any harm to the competition whatsoever. And actually, if you look at Amanda Jade Wellington, for example, how brilliant has she been for the Southern Brave? Um, she she um, has been one of the, or if not the best bowler in the whole competition. I, I guess Marazan Cat might have something to say about that after her performance in the final. But certainly in terms of spin bowling, um, she's been brilliant. Um, and actually, you'd have to say that she's got to be one of um, the, the first names on Lottie's team sheet for, for next year's competition. Um, I know that she was replacing, um, I think it was Amelia Kerr, also a leg spinner. Um, but there's nothing to say you can't have two leg spinners in your side. So, um, you know, that's what that's what I'd be thinking if I was Lottie. I'd be I'd be getting Amanda Jade to sign on the dotted line today. 
Um, and and I think I, uh, she said on Twitter um, she's got to be um, a 15 ker next year. Um, obviously, we, the salaries might increase, um, but in terms of she's going to be somebody who you would be paying top whack to to come back and play for you next year. And I think she, as a person, probably has got a sense of loyalty and she's talked about um, working with Lottie and how much she's enjoyed that. So I think she'll be back playing for the Southern Brave next year. So that's good news for you, Sid. Hopefully, yeah, she's been, she's been brilliant. And if we you know, perhaps seeing her bowl in tandem with Amelia Kerr next season that could be interesting as well so I don't think there's any problem with having two leg spinners certainly so uh, bring it on the other really interesting thing I think is that what we said what we were saying a few weeks ago at the start of the competition um, or just before it started was if you want to get Lanning and Healy and Perry over here playing in England next year you need to pay them more and I don't think that's right anymore because I think that they will have been looking on from Australia at this competition, looking at the crowds that we've been getting over here and they will feel that they've really missed out actually. I mean, when else in her career does Meg Lanning A, even ever get to play at Lords because they haven't played here the last two women's ashes um, that they've that have been played in England and, and B, get to play in front of a crowd of 17,000 at Lords, um, which is just amazing and potentially could even be, be a full house at lords in a couple of years time for the final um so i don't think that they need that carrot of money anymore the carrot is playing in a competition like this one in front of crowds that we've seen of um you know over ten thousand regularly they don't get that in the big bash they i mean obviously they they occasionally get that um in internationals um for example the mcg but you know, it's still incredibly rare so I think that that's been a re- that's a really interesting shift actually and it will mean that those top class Australian players are much more likely to want to come over here and play yeah absolutely and let's not lose sight of the significance of those numbers that we know it, this isn't just the final we're talking about all of the games have, have seen big big crowds yeah. bigger crowds than you get in the women's super league which is our our football uh, our premier women's football competition um, now admittedly that's slightly cr- uh, driven by the the venues and things um, so most the big uh, WSL teams still only play in venues with a capacity of sort of four or five thousand at the very most but it's still it's absolutely huge and you know we we have to eat our words on a lot of this this has been game changing and I think that you're right however the money still does matter doesn't it Uh, and uh, Mr Tom Harrison has been on uh, what I believe the kids call the wireless or is it just my grand that calls it the wireless? Um, Mr. Tom Harrison has been on the wireless this morning and he's had something to say about that or he's given us a little teaser. Yes, he's actually said that they will be making an announcement fairly imminently, so in the next couple of days, um, about um, what the what the women are going to be paid next year, so the overall women's salaries. Um, so that will be really interesting um, to hear what he has to say about that. And what I think is particularly interesting is that we knew that they were going to have to review this, and they are doing this big post-100 review. But before they've even done that, because they're not going to do a review in the next couple of days, it's going to be a, a process of probably a couple of months months you would think but he is gonna he is gonna set down something um he's he feels that it's important to kind of actually announce that really soon and so that is it kind of adds to what you were saying about the women's competition having been game changing I think it's really taken the ECB by surprise um, they've kind of gone oh hang on a minute if we're getting these enormous crowds for the women's side of things then we do need to even up the the salaries and we do actually look a bit backwards um, and a bit kind of um 
what's the word um a bit conservative in the way that we've on the, in the path that we've currently gone down of there being such a big pay disparity we've been taken by surprise by that um and so to say that he's going to announce something very shortly is actually quite important i think yeah and he's not going to announce something negative he's, he's uh, you know he's he's a very experienced <laughs> yeah. communicator you're he's all not, getting a pay cut yeah, he's not going to have gone on the radio this morning and go i'm going to announce a big thing guys and then come back two days later and going no. yeah so you know i think it's a fairly safe bet that they are going to go up um, but the big question, of course, is where is that money going to come from, Sid? Yeah, that is, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of finish on a negative spin about this, but we do have to kind of slightly, you know, our role as journalists sometimes is to ask yeah. those difficult questions. And it is important to consider where this money is going to come from. Is it going to come from the men's game? Is it going to come from other bits of the women's game? You know, there's been talk about whether or not they're going to issue additional regional contracts for next season, which would be, you know, a huge deal. Um, you know, if they decide, well, okay, no more additional regional contracts, but, you know, we'll up the pay for the hundreds then you know you could just kind of robbing Petra to pay Paula um, and we've talked about the pie the pie in the next couple of years as we know isn't getting any bigger the, the TV companies are not going to come back next summer and go hey guys we've voluntarily decided to pay you an extra five million pounds that's not going to happen title sponsorships can make a bit of influence but not much let's not forget that the the Barclays title sponsorship of the English men's Premier League the biggest domestic sports competition you know in the world in terms of like viewership and like global significance Barclays only pay 13 million pounds a year for that so the title sponsorship that you're going to get that, that money's not going to be very much they need to demonstrate that this money is not just coming from like you know grabbing it from other bits of the women's game i think that's important okay now we did have um another big announcement this week um unrelated to the hundred actually um and that is um that the icc championship which is the qualifying path for the 50 over world cup is going to be expanding um from up from eight teams to 10 teams in the next cycle now i think that that has been talked about before um but it's been formally laid out that the qualifying tournament for the world cup in new zealand next year is going to be played later on this year in zimbabwe and there's going to be eight teams participating in that um, and that is how it's going to be decided which two teams, um, which two extra teams get to take part in the championship. So it could be quite a significant tournament, that Sid. Yeah, it's going to be a huge tournament, isn't it? Um, you know, and I, I think that uh, while obviously like the headlines are going to be about the World Cup qualification when the tournament comes to being played, as Hypercourse commented on Twitter, um, whether or not someone gets into this new expanded ICC championship, which isn't, as you, as you hinted, it's not quite a new announcement, but they've, this is the first time they've actually kind of formally said it as opposed to sort of hinting at it. Um, you know, that's going to be absolutely massive for the teams that qualify and potentially not great for the teams that don't qualify so it's it this potentially gives you a bit of an existential moment in in this competition when it could come down to one match about whether or not you qualify for that night cycle of the icc championship the teams that qualify you know if you're thailand or or ireland or bangladesh that gives you a, an exciting you know three years of tours to australia and new zealand and well some of them will be home tours but you know england you, you you'll get all of that additional investment you'll get the excitement you'll get the interest you'll get the media coming to, you'll get people coming to visit you Big teams will come to play at you. You'll get more money from you know people paying for those broadcast rights. All that stuff's really important. Of course, if you don't qualify, if you miss that, then that's you know 
almost creates the other thing. Say if if you're Ireland um, and you know you get beaten to this by the Netherlands, that means the Netherlands probably aren't going to play Ireland again for the next four or five years because the Netherlands will be busy going off to play Australia and Ireland will be left just sitting on their haunches. So really, really important for, for these teams that they, they make that qualification. It's going to be a, a really exciting and an important competition. So we uh, look forward to watching those on the live stream and there could be some, you know, some definitely some dicey moments there, but it'll be exciting stuff. Absolutely. Okay, well, the hundreds over and done with. We've really enjoyed it, um, but no rest for the wicked, Sid. I think you better dust off your bright orange Southern Vipers <laughs> T-shirt that I bought you for Christmas, in case anyone wasn't aware. Uh, that's where it came from. Um, and the uh, Charlotte Edwards Cup resumes on Wednesday, um, and we'll be looking forward to some really exciting and more women's domestic cricket. Um, that's all for this week. Bye for now. Bye.